<laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. <laughs> I've been told we bear a striking resemblance. Is that, is that true? It's a shirt. <laughs> Show you my tattoos. No, I don't have any. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Ward. I'm uh, director of family ministries here at the Vineyard. If, uh, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, that's what I do here. I try and help make sure the kids' wings running and uh, work with our small groups and stuff like that. So uh, that's what I do here. Our pastor, uh, our fearless leader, Adam Russell, is in California. Yep, I know. It's sad. It's sad. <laughs> Uh, he is uh, uh, doing a wedding today from a, a former member of ours, Alan Mulliken. He's getting married today, and so Adam is out there uh, for the wedding. So we miss him, but we're going to push on. Uh, we'll be brave, right? Heather and I are in the same boat. We've been spouseless this week. Uh, Heather's, you know, Adam's in uh, in uh, California. My wife Sarah's in Africa. So take that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, actually, I don't. Uh, it'd be great if you uh, wanted to pray for my wife. She is, um, uh, she's a doula. She's a labor coach, and she had the opportunity to go and assist with uh, uh, a couple that used to go here, and now they're doing missions in North Africa. Chris and Teresa Decker, if you remember them, they had a baby. Uh, little Sophia arrived safe and sound, and they're doing well. And uh, my wife is over there uh, helping them out, getting uh, getting adjusted to life as parents, and and she'll be back sometime in July, I think. <laughs> uh, so pray for safe. She'll be back Wednesday, so uh, it'd be great if you want to pray for her travels and her safety, and uh, pray that I don't, in the meantime, lose one of our kids or something, and <laughs> keep everything going. Um, so there's that. Uh, a couple of uh, of announcements that are uh, that are uh, kind of sad, uh, not kind of sad, they're uh, really sad. Um, uh, if you remember, uh, well, most of you know Joyce uh, Joyce Lagodney and her husband Bob. If you if you don't know them, if you've been in this community for a while, you might remember Bell's Bakery. They ran it back in the glory days, and uh, Bob, after years and years of uh, of illness and and battling has gone on to be with the Lord, and so uh, they're having a visitation tomorrow night, uh, 6 to 8 at Parrot Ramsey. And so if you'd like to go, uh, j- just a visitation. He's being uh, uh, buried, if I understand correctly, uh, in Indiana or something like that. And so they're just having visitation tomorrow. And so uh, feel free uh, to come by tomorrow night and, uh, and share uh, you know, your appreciation and love uh, for the Lagodney family. Um, Continue to be in prayer for the Markhams. Tim also went to be with the Lord last uh, last Sunday. It's been a week. Uh, had a really sweet memorial service in Louisville uh, yesterday. So continue to pray for the Markhams. And uh, those of you, it's been a crazy week. Uh, there's a CU student. She she didn't attend here, but I know she's got friends here. Her name's Alethea Chestnut. And uh, they had a house fire. They live in the Lexington area. Uh, Lexington area. And her, two of her younger sisters uh, lost their lives in the fire. And really tragic, really sad. Um, if uh, if you're interested, uh, they're doing you know closed drives. Of course, they lost you know a lot of things in the fire, um, and so they're doing that. You can um, donate money if you like. You can contact the university. They're organizing 
uh, this stuff, specifically the Office of Development, if you'd like to make a cash donation uh, or have any questions about how you can uh, encourage that family. That's uh, uh, what you can do. So, yeah, a heavy week this week, a heavy week. And so uh, coming into this week, um, you know, I've known for you know a few weeks that, that I was going to you know, speak in Adam's absence. And so coming into this week, uh, I had uh, an, an idea that was going to fit a little bit more with what Adam's been doing, you know, talking about the love of God, and I was going to talk uh, a little bit about specifically the Lord's love of the church. Uh, but about halfway through this week, with everything going on, I just felt uh, moved to to uh, to go a little bit different direction, um, specifically in light of you know how do we how do we respond you know to tragic circumstances and, and, to, and to crisis, and how do we you know find the Lord's uh, love in that and and uh, some of the some of the challenges of processing these things, um, and so if I do this right, if I don't if I don't butcher this, <laughs> my hope is is that is that you know we'll leave hopeful. What I'm not doing is I'm not interested in giving you know pep talk, right? Uh, I'm not interested necessarily in just trying to get people to feel better, you know, in, in bad circumstances. Uh, my my hope is is that we can discover ways to really access the genuine hope available to us in the Lord, and so uh, really what I want to start uh, by talking about is considering some of our common uh, beliefs and reactions to tra- tragedy. Uh, this isn't you know maybe necessarily you know your response specifically, but I feel like some of these things are common responses, particularly for believers. All right. Um, when tragedy comes or when crisis uh, presents itself, uh, sometimes what you'll hear people say in an effort to console other people uh, is that, well, you know, it's, it, it's part of God's plan, right? Uh, that's, that's something common we, we might hear, we might say. It's, it's part of God's plan. We, we search for hope and, and we find a degree of hope in passages uh, like Romans 8, uh, 28. I think we've got that one. Uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. All right, in all things we wor- uh, God works for the good of those who love Him, and so we start putting some of these things together. Well, you know, God's got a plan. Everything works together for good. Uh, so God's got a good plan in this tragedy. I just can't see it. Right? I just can't see it yet. Uh, so we're trying to glean a little bit of hope from this from this sense of God's got this good plan. I I can't wrap my head around it. Right. Uh, but God must have this good plan for these tragic circumstances. And so really the million-dollar question is uh, that we either ask or that we want to ask, but maybe don't have the courage sometimes to ask. But really the million-dollar question is why did God do this, right? Uh, you see the, the stream of thought there? This, well, God has a plan. His plan's for good. So why did, you know, and this, this is part of the this, you know, grieving process, or you know whatever we're struggling with it may not even be a you know situation where there's a death, but whatever this you know this uh, you know this, this trial or this situation that's so difficult, you know we go through some of these questions. These are common questions, and so uh, I want to propose something today that for for many of us might be a new perspective. Um, it's been rel- a relatively new perspective for me, uh, but I feel like it could really be a game changer for a lot of us. Um, I want to propose something. If you're in a position where you're asking, God, why did you do this? Then maybe the answer is he didn't. Maybe the answer is 
he didn't. Okay, but that gives us some work to do, right? Because <laughs> that has a lot of ramifications. Uh, the first being um, the, the notion that God is in control, right? I think for most believers, can't speak for every believer, but I'll speak for a lot of them. Uh, most believers believe that God is in control. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, yeah, most believers you know, believe that God is in control. So the first thing I want to mention or, or, uh, or suggest is that could there be a pretty dramatic difference between saying God is in control of everything and God controls everything? I think there's a significant difference between saying God is in control of everything and God controls everything. Uh, for example, I mentioned you know my wife's out, so I've, it's been daddy daycare. In my house, uh, the girls are in the living room, you know, playing. I feel in control of the situation. If I need to, I can jump in, referee, grab the scissors, <laughs> put the fire out. I'm not controlling their actions. I'm not, you know, moving Marin's arms and making her, you know, slap bow. (laughs) I'm in control, but I'm not controlling what's happening in the room. Contrast to to here after church (laughs) and they're running around. I'm not in much control of what they're doing. (laughs) Where'd they go? I can't find them. I have the, you'll, you'll notice my expression after church, it's the same every Sunday. Like, there's one, where's the other one? I can't find them. It's not in control. But in my house, you know, I'm in control, but it doesn't mean I'm controlling everything. And so I think uh, that it might be useful for us to consider, you know, the fact that God can be in control and at the same time not controlling everything that happens. Uh, can we put up uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 23 through 25? Um, I, think, I think for the most part we have a grid to understand that, you know, we're living in a, in a, in a moment in history where the enemy, where, where the devil still has dominion over the earth. Right? This, this passage speaks to that. Um, <clears throat> I'll, just, I'll skip down to 24. Uh, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. All right, so it's talking about the end. Now, you may have different opinions on what the end times look like, what they are, but I think we should all be able to agree, given that we're, we're here, <laughs> the end hasn't come. Right? And so that's actually the point where the kingdom is going to be completely handed over, is at the end, right? It hasn't been completely handed over, so the enemy still has uh, dominion, right? So God's in control. I mean, the very fact that the, that the earth is spinning and the stars are still in the sky and that we're breathing, that's all testimony that God is in control, but that doesn't mean that he's controlling everything because the enemy still has dominion. Does that make sense? 
So that's the consideration. Um, the good news, one, one piece of the good news, there's a lot of good news, but one example of the good news that we have to celebrate is that the war has been determined, right? It's been determined. God's going to get, you know, you know the, 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 domain, the, the dominion of the enemy will end, right? That's not, we're hoping that's going to happen. That's going to happen, right? The war, the, the, the victory's been determined. Sin, the power of sin, has already been defeated, right? That's pretty good news. So even though the war has been determined, battles are still being waged. You know that even after the, the Civil War official is over, there still, still were some battles that were, that were being fought. The war has been determined, but there's still battles that are raging, that are being fought. And so uh, this, is, this is a pretty uh, key part to, you know, we were talking about newcomers lunch. So if, if you're kind of new to the vineyard, um, this is actually a big part about who we are. Uh, a phrase you might hear sometimes uh, when talking about this this moment in history that we're talking about is that we're caught between you know the, this already not yet time of the kingdom of God. That doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, Jesus described the kingdom of God, and and you might be surprised when you if if you just go on you know Bible Gateway online or do some little search or look in your concordance and look up. You know, all the references to the kingdom of God that Jesus himself makes. And it becomes pretty clear the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was like, you know, job number one. I mean, he talked about the kingdom all the time, the bringing and the coming of the kingdom of God. Big deal, right? That was first and foremost on Jesus' mission. Probably should be pretty significant to us. Uh, So he was always talking about the kingdom of God, but he described it in so many different ways. He would say the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is not yet come. All these things seem to contradict a little bit unless you have this understanding of what it means to be living in this already not yet moment in history. And what it means is Jesus initiated the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of God started breaking in uh, when Jesus came on the scene, right? And so uh, in John uh, 10, uh, 9 and 10, um, actually, I'm going to look at 11. Sorry. I think I got the right one. All right, it's fine. It's fine. It's just, it, uh, that's the, the passage where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. So the, the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God has been initiated, but it hasn't fully taken its, its reign. But it's breaking in. It's advancing. And forceful men are laying, laying hold of it. And Jesus initiated this coming of the kingdom, right? And so, you know, in these uh, moments where, you know, we're praying for breakthrough or something or healing, we can know that, you know, the kingdom of God is breaking in. So there's hope that it's going to break in. But we also know that the kingdom of God is not fully here. And so sometimes it does not. Does that make sense? So this is a, this is a real key part of, of what we believe here because it really impacts our approach to ministry, our approach to living life, our interaction with the Lord, you know. This is a big deal. 
And so in today's context, we're talking, you know, you know, more specifically about how do we approach, you know, tragic circumstances and crisis. And it's important to understand that we're living in the already, not yet. We need to understand that there is a real enemy who is here to steal, kill, and destroy. Now you can put that, that uh, verse up. A very real enemy. Uh, a, a lot of us tend to be really um, you know, quick to acknowledge the Lord, but we, we don't, we're not as always as quick to, to acknowledge the enemy. There's actually a very real enemy, and his purpose is to, like the thief here in this parable, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he does, right? That's what he's after. That's what he wants to do. And so this is important uh, for for another reason because there's another passage of Scripture, and I don't think I put this one on there. Uh, But a lot of times, you know, when when people are dealing with crisis, and let's talk specifically about death, all right? We'll talk about death. Somebody dies seemingly before their time. And so I believe there's a passage that says every man's appointed once to die, right? How do we reconcile these two things? We're appointed once to die. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What about Lazarus? Everyone is appointed once to die except for these three guys in the Bible who died twice. To my knowledge, Lazarus isn't still around. I know it's not recorded in the Scripture. I think it's safe to assume that he died twice. The Shunammite widow, son had died. She begged Elijah. She got him you know, another example of, of someone that was raised from the dead. The kid that fell out of the window, right? These are biblical examples. Would it freak you out to know that there's real-world examples of people who've been prayed over, who came back to life. That's just in the Bible, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, I mentioned where Sarah is. Um, Teresa, uh, she met a man who had been, who had died. People prayed for him uh, on one of her previous mission trips. Came back to life. Uh, I have prayed for a few people before that, that had passed away and asked the Lord to raise them. I haven't seen it. I haven't witnessed it firsthand. Um, But I've heard several testimonies that are current day testimonies. I know it's weird. No argument for me. It's weird. I don't know what I would do if I prayed for someone and then someone would probably have to pray for me because I'd probably have a heart attack. (laughs) So what does this mean? Everyone's appointed wants to die, but we see some examples in Scripture. And what about uh, Elijah? He didn't die. Right? Lord just called him up. So everyone's appointed wants to die except for these 20. They, got, they get an exemption. They get a pass. Maybe, maybe what we need to understand is that just because you're appointed wants to die doesn't mean that that's when you die. Because we have an enemy that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe the the possibility exists that sometimes the enemy does take somebody before their time. And so maybe when somebody dies before their time, it's not the Lord. Does that make sense? 
We're appointed once to die. But we have an enemy that's real that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't feel the hope, the hope rising in the room yet. <laughs> I'll get there. I promise. Let's consider this. I've heard Adam say this. He's probably said this you know, from the front before, but I know, I know we've talked about this in conversations before. But if our view of God is that God is the one that's handing out death and handing out cancer and handing out spastic colon, whatever your ailment <laughs> is. <laughs> really been wrestling with the Lord over that one. Is that too much? I was always told to share personal stories when you preach. I digress. <laughs> um, if God is the one that's handing out all this stuff, what's the devil do? Place pool? <laughs> Just hanging out? Is he standing behind, you know, is he standing behind the God, ta- you know, God tapping him on the shoulder? Hey, I want to turn. I wanted to smite that guy, you know. <laughs> but seriously, if, if God is the one, if our Heavenly Father is the one that's handing out all this stuff, addictions that we can't break, If God's doing that, what's the devil doing? The devil's the one that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. God's heart is to set captives free, right? So, yeah, maybe maybe we're appointed once to die. But maybe we've been too quick to presume that everybody goes at their appointed time. We have a real enemy that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Let's go back to the verse we talked about a minute ago, Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I think maybe the key word there is actually the word work. Because I think in a lot of these situations, the good comes from God working. I don't think it indicates that the event itself is good. But when we experience these tragic circumstances, we have a Heavenly Father who's willing to work to bring good out of it. Right? We could, we could, uh, we could talk a lot of examples. Um, there's one that really come, just, just jumped to my mind immediately when I, when I thought about this. Um, Gosh, it's been within, I don't know, a year and a half, a couple of years. There was a, there's a, a young couple in our community. Uh, they were having a son. They knew before the son uh, was going to be born that he had, you know, a lot of developmental, you know, issues in his lungs and in his, uh, uh, you know, in, in his heart. And so he was born, and sure enough, um, you know, in spite of, you know, people rallying and praying, uh, you know, he, he held on for a while, uh, but he eventually, uh, he eventually died. The baby died. And I've never, personally, you know, I, you, you'll see stories and things like that, but as far as, like, people I actually knew, I've never experienced people rallying around a situation. And I've never, and, and it was more than just 
people sharing love, I, I really was seeing people touched by the testimony of this family, like in a, in a very real way. Some people met the Lord, like really met the Lord as a result of this, you know, this couple's, you know, testimony and their their faithfulness to the Lord and just the, you know, the 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 way everything the way everything went down and just people rallied around it, prayed. It was really amazing. And when I see a situation like that, I see, okay, that's the Lord. I don't I don't I don't believe the Lord gave those uh, ailments to that baby, to that little boy. I don't believe that. And while I believe, I, while I believe the Lord received him, I don't believe the Lord took him. You see the difference there? I'm sure the Lord received him with open arms. I don't believe the Lord took him, right? Again, that's what I believe. But I look at that situation, I see, man, the Lord really worked to make that work together for the good. And I think there's hope there, right? What about a family who realizes they, you know, after trying and trying that they can't have children, but then they adopt, right? I don't necessarily believe that the Lord, no kids for you, right? We're in a fallen world. The enemy has, still has dominion. People still get sick. People still die. People still have issues in their bodies, but in a situation like that, you know, they adopt, they have a family, the Lord works for the good, right? This is one of the reasons why I think it, it matters is um, I, I just think it, it, it's important to posture our hearts in a way to receive from the Lord. Um, under, understand that I'm not even... I'm not even uh, um, remotely trying to criticize anybody that asks why in the face of tragedy. That's the most natural thing to do. I ask the Lord why all the time, right? My concern is that we don't get stuck in that place. Because when we're stuck in that place, then it's hard for us to posture our heart to receive from the Lord. I'm not defending the Lord. I don't think the Lord needs me to defend him. I don't think the Lord is up in heaven in the corner with his arms crossed saying, oh, they blame me for something I didn't do. (laughs) I don't think his feelings are hurt. I don't think he needs me to defend him. No. My concern is actually for us here. I think it's important for us to be in a position to receive from the Lord when we need him most. I mean, we always need the Lord, of course. But in these moments of tragedy, we can get so... um, so bogged down with trying to ask a question that maybe there's no answer to. If we're always asking, Lord, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And the answer is he didn't do it. But we're like trying to figure out and make sense. God, why would you do this when he didn't do it? So, yeah, I think it's perfectly fine, natural to ask God why. But my concern is that we just get stuck in that place when what we need to be doing or what would be best for us in the long run, is to be able to posture our hearts and just receive, you know, the grace and the mercy and the peace and the hope and the love of the Lord. Right?
I mean, we've all done that, and you know, and, you know when you keep asking a question, there's a, there's no answer to it. it; just leads to frustration, right? Sometimes the answer is really simply, you know, the world stinks. <laughs> is that oversimplifying? <laughs> Why did this person die? The Lord, you know, the, not the Lord. The world stinks. The Lord stinks. Whoops. It's not. The world stinks. People die still. Yeah. Not forever. But for now, people still die. Man, if we can get to the place where we can just position our hearts to receive from the Lord. And there's hope there. Right? All right. Uh, I feel like I have to address at least one potential like hole in my proposal or my argument here. Um, all right. So let's say you agree. You agree with me. Okay. So the Lord didn't do it. This, whatever the circumstance is, the Lord didn't do it. Okay. I can vibe with that. But he also didn't stop it. He allowed it, right? He didn't stop it. He allowed it. Which for, which for some, and understandably so, I get it. That's just as hard to, to process, right? Does it, uh, any, any, any Seinfeld fans? <laughs> Sam? Um, whether you're a Seinfeld fan or not, if you happen to catch the finale, the series finale, uh, of course, the show was, was genius in many ways. It was literally a show about nothing. That was just kind of how it became, came to be known. Uh, it wasn't a show where at the end of the series you could look at either character and say, wow, that character really grew. <laughs> they were just as shallow at the end as they were at the beginning. Funny. <laughs> but the four most self-centered characters maybe ever on TV, right? Funny. I like the show. But in the finale, uh, in the last few episodes, they were uh, traveling. I don't, I don't remember exactly the circumstances that put them where they were, but they weren't in, uh, in uh, New, York, New York where they lived. But they were in some town, and across the street, they witnessed a guy getting mugged. And they just sit there and they do what they do. You know, they crack their jokes and they just watch. And then the police come up and talk to the guy. And they're like, hey, those guys over there, they saw it and they didn't do anything. And it turns out in that little community, they have a law that says, if you don't, you know, if you do nothing, you're guilty. Uh, long story short, spoiler alert, the series ends with all of them in jail. <laughs> yeah, finally caught up with them. Their self-centeredness finally got them in the end. Is God George Costanza to us? <laughs> you didn't do it. You didn't do anything to stop it. So, to a degree, are we putting the Lord in, in the prison of our of our hearts? You didn't. You didn't mug the guy, but you didn't stop it. That's a fair question, right? I mean, that's it's a tough question. 
And there's a, there, there really is a true mystery to it. How many of you, um, if you'd raise your hands, how many of you have firsthand experienced whether someone praying for you or you praying for someone else have ever experienced uh, physical healing? Okay. You can keep your hands up. Um, and I want you to keep your hands up. If these same people, you've got your hands up right now, how many of you that have witnessed firsthand physical healing have also prayed for someone or have been prayed for and nothing happened? What's the deal with that? <laughs> the kingdom of God broke in here, but it didn't break in here, right? Already not yet. It's, it's tough to process sometimes. There's a mystery to it. I don't have the answer. I, ho- I don't know if you're waiting for me to give you the answer. Well, this is when God does it. Here's the formula. Here's the formula. Bad news. There's no formula. I mean, there's definitely a lot of things that seem to be present when the kingdom breaks in. Faith, persistence, you know, um, etc. There's There's a lot of things, you know, that that really seem to invite the Lord's movement and invite the kingdom to break in. That's true. But there's no formula, right? Look at examples of healing in the Scripture. Sometimes Jesus will point the guy out that was sick and say, your faith has made you well. Sometimes he'll point to the people that brought him, the guys that you know lowered the guy through the roof. Your faith sealed him. Um... Tough question. But ultimately, I feel like when we get stuck in that place, I feel like really we're probably revealing more about our own hearts than we are about the Lord. Because I feel like what the focus has become in in those moments is a focus on the things God hasn't done and what He's not doing as opposed to what He has done and what He is doing. December 18th, there's an NFL quarterback um, who's playing a game against one of his rivals. In his home stadium, big game, playoffs were somewhat on the line. It's an important game. And this guy goes out and he throws three interceptions, no touchdowns. Quarterback rating, if you're familiar with that, is 45. It's not good. They lost. <laughs> That wasn't his last game of the season. His last game of the season, he played brilliantly, no interceptions, touchdown, led his team to a Super Bowl victory. Eli Manning, right? So if we're looking at this war analogy and battles and wars, 32 NFL teams, only one can win the Super Bowl. So for that season, that's the war. Who's going to win the war? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? The New York Giants won the Super Bowl, so they won. Right? But on December 18th, the New York Giants lost in embarrassing fashion to the Washington Redskins, who they should have beaten. How many people today that are New York Giant fans could, I mean, how many could care less about that game against Washington? Right? They won the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to trivialize the battles that we go through, I'm not trivial, trivializing. 
you know, the, the things where we're not experiencing breakthrough or where healing doesn't come or where people die. I'm not trivializing that. My point being, though, is that sometimes we neglect to, to really appreciate the fact that the Lord's already won the war. That's not a small thing. He's won it in the large sense. He's defeated sin for the world. And he's done it for individuals, every individual. The biggest battle you could ever have, the Lord's already won for you. The one battle you definitely could not win, the Lord has already won for you. And so while we definitely could drive ourselves crazy and depress ourselves by thinking, oh, man, the Lord hasn't done this, but he's done this. Right? So let's talk a little bit about some of the things the Lord's done. I mentioned uh, he's won the war. Uh, one of the things the Lord's done that would be good for us to, to remind ourselves from time to time is that he's revealed his heart in almost every matter in creation. Specifically, what I'm talking about is in the creation story. Um, I may have said this before. I know I've talked about this at home group, but this within the last year, this has been something that's really impacted me. So it's just, it's real fresh on my mind. But think of a difficult circumstance and you want to know that you're experiencing a crisis, a tragedy, uh, you know, just whatever it is you're struggling with. And if you want to know the Lord's heart on the matter, look at the period of creation before sin entered the world. What's the Lord's heart on death? There was no death before sin came in the world. That's the only picture of history we have where we see things exactly the way the Lord wanted it. That's the snapshot. You want to know what the Lord's heart is? That's what He created. That's what He wanted. Are you lonely? The Lord's not for loneliness. He created companionship, right? Are you sick? The Lord's not for sickness. That wasn't in his game plan. It's not what he wanted. Are you frustrated? Are you addicted? Not in, not in the garden, right? What's the Lord's heart? That's the Lord's heart. So the Lord's revealed his heart towards these circumstances. So if you're not experiencing kingdom breakthrough... I can't tell you necessarily why the kingdom's not breaking in, but I can tell you that it's not because the Lord's heart isn't for it. If you want to know the Lord's heart on a matter, look at creation, and you probably see right there what his heart is. All right, he revealed his heart in creation. He's won the war. Um, I forgot to, to mention this verse. Yeah, let's uh, Acts two. 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, that's part of the, the fruit of him winning the war. You call on the Lord, it's for you, okay? No small thing. And in doing so, he demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5, 8, uh, I think you may have just had that one up. Sorry about that. Uh, Adam shared this one last one. It's obvious, I mean, you know, it's really famous voice uh, verse. God demonstrated His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, right? He's demonstrated our love for us. 
Uh, Adam's been hitting this a lot, but it's so good I have to repeat it. Um, part of what, what part of what Jesus did here was he actually revealed our value, right? We might sell our house at some point. We'd like to get a, a bigger house, you know, have ten more kids. I don't know, but we want maybe at some point we want a bigger house, maybe some land or something fun like that. So. Our house is only going to be ultimately, it doesn't matter what we put on the sign, it doesn't matter how we list it, it's only ultimately going to be as valuable as what somebody's willing to pay for it. I could put it, it's a three-bedroom, two-bath, could put it down for 70, nobody might pay for it. I could list it for 150, it's not worth 150. To me, it's not worth 150. We may catch somebody from, you know, moving in from New York City, that pays that much for, you know, a one-bedroom. <laughs> they may jump at it. Oh, man, 150 for a three-bedroom? Take it. <laughs> Ultimately, something is only as valuable as something's willing to pay for it. You see, you know, these comic books and baseball cards and things that people put on eBay for. Okay, you can put whatever price you want on it. Is anybody going to buy it? Maybe, maybe not. Your value is demonstrated in the fact that the God of the universe spent his son on you. What has God done? What is he doing? Well, one thing he's done is he made you so valuable that he spent his son on you. Everyone in this room. We look at national, natural disasters, the tsunami. Remember that? Goodness. Every single person in there was a person that Jesus spilled his blood for. I can't tell you why it happened, but I can tell you the heart, the Lord's heart for each individual that, that died that day. That he loved them. That, that those people, every person, that died that day, was loved by God. That's one of the things that he's done. He's revealed his heart. He's won the war. He's demonstrated his love. Something else he's done is he's, he's, he's demonstrated and he's, he's shown his desire to partner with us. This is a big deal. See, a lot of these battles... They're not going to be one without us. God has shown over and over and over that he really values partnership. He doesn't want to be the puppet master. He wants to use us. So a lot of these battles, you know, sometimes we're the answer for somebody else's crisis. Um. You know, I do hear from time to time uh, people, you know, that feel sick and they pray for themselves and they get better. And I encourage you to do that. You feel sick, go ahead and pray for yourself, you know. My experience, you know, when I hear, you know, as far as like hearing testimonies and hearing reports and things like that, is that that's the exception. Most of the time when I hear some sort of healing report or some sort of breakthrough, that it happened with people. People praying for each other. People helping each other. Because God values partnership and He wants to use us. And it's actually a privilege, way more than it's a burden. 
It's a privilege to be able to fight alongside the Lord. And he really loves partnership. It was Matthew eleven twelve. if you're on the verse. I had the reference wrong when talking about the kingdom of God forcefully advancing, right? And so what's our job? Our job is to be forceful men, laying hold of the kingdom, partnering with the Lord. Forceful men and women lay hold of the kingdom because he wants to partner with us. He's shown... Something else the Lord's done is He's revealed and He's shown His love for process. The Lord doesn't usually snap His fingers and our problems go away. I'm not saying that never happens, but usually the Lord shows it that there's a real value in the process. This is something else Adam's been hitting, hitting a lot. The, you know, the, very, the very process of us getting here, right? It's quite the process. Birds and the bees. The birds hook up with the bees. I never understood that analogy. <laughs> it's a process, apparently. <laughs> Nine months later, another process. <laughs> Just us even getting here is a process. The university used to have a uh, slogan. Um, it's, now it's, it's find your calling now, but it used to be the joy is in the journey. <laughs> um, well, in this context, uh, I, I think we could look at the, that the growth is in the journey. When you're fighting for something, I think it's good to not expect the shortcut. You can ask for it. I don't see, any, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with asking. <laughs> but if the Lord doesn't give you the shortcut and He doesn't snap His fingers and your addiction's gone, then understand that there's value in the process. That's something the Lord has demonstrated over and over that he values process and he values partnership. Something else the Lord has done and is doing is he's preparing us and he's willing to prepare us if we're willing to be prepared, but he's preparing us for battle. Lord of the Rings fans, I, I don't know that I've ever gotten through a sermon without mentioning Lord of the Rings. It's almost hesitant to do it. Remember in the third movie, the, uh, the Steward of Gondor? Just... Didn't want to get involved. You know, it's pretty foolish, right? You're involved. You can tell yourself you're not, but you're involved. The fight's going to come to you. The Lord wants to prepare us. We need to let Him prepare us for battle. And this, in my opinion is an area where the, where the church has fallen a little bit short. Um, we've, we've, done, we've done such a, a good job or made such an emphasis on the fact that the Lord's won the war. Talking about salvation, all right? We've made such an emphasis on salvation that we haven't really equipped ourselves 
to fight for the John 10 abundant life or that we haven't really equipped the church to lay hold of the kingdom forcefully. We haven't really equipped ourselves to, to win the everyday battles because we're, we're pretty much contented in knowing that we're going to go to heaven when we die. What was John Mark's status yesterday? I didn't write this down, but it just popped in my head. Did anybody see that the other day? It was really good. John Mark had a status that said, um, I don't want to sing about dying and going to heaven, but rather about living and bringing heaven to me or to, to earth. And so we've been contented to look so forward to heaven, which is great. I mean, yeah, look forward to heaven. But one of the cool things about heaven is that we can play a role in this process and this advancing of the kingdom of bringing it right here and winning these battles, setting captives free. So one of the things that the Lord's doing to prepare us for battle, just flip through your concordance. Gifts of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit, the armor of God, all these things. Community, family, working together, right? Prophetic ministry, encouraging the church. We have a, we have a tendency... Um, we, we have a tendency to pick and choose the things that we want to operate in. I'm okay with teaching. Prophecy weirds me out. Listen, the battle is real. The enemy is real. Why wouldn't we want to access every tool at our disposal? We're talking about lives. You know, we're talking about people. Anything that the Lord is willing to give me in a moment of need to set somebody free, I'll take it. Weird or not weird. And that's something the Lord's willing to do. He's willing to give us tools to fight with. Of course, the greatest of all the tools is what? Love. I had to mention love. We're in a series on love and hardly talking about that. So, In uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but one of the things about love, I'm going to highlight a couple things, is it mentions that all these other gifts without love, you know, they're, they're pretty useless. In some cases, even destructive if they're not anchored by love. We need to be motivated and moved by the love of the Lord. We're motivated by pride or by getting spiritual notches on our belt. It's just, you know, sense of, you know, power by doing ministry and doing cool things. Not so good. I'm not saying the Lord won't use you because He's actually that nice that He'll still sometimes use us even when our motives aren't great. But we have to be so careful because we can really do some damage when we're not ministering out of love. Love really needs to be the anchor for all the tools that we use. And this is so good. Um, It's so good I forgot where it was. (laughs) Oh, come on. All right, somewhere in the Bible it says love never fails. (laughs) Do what? Verse 8. Verse 8. 
Thank you, Rick. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, So, yeah, verse 8. Love never fails. So if you're ministering to somebody and you're praying for healing, they may or may not get better. You know what's not going to fail is if you love them. Never fails. And people know when they're being loved, right? For the most part. I guess there's exceptions. People, people by and large are pretty intuitive. You may have somebody that walks in here today, has never set foot in a church. We may pray for them. They may think we're, you know, just, you know, bat nuts crazy. Never used that expression before. <laughs> Don't even know what it means. It's kind of redundant. <laughs> they may think we're. We're crazy. They may think we're crazy. (laughs) But you know what? They're probably going to know if the person in front of them actually loves them. Or if they're just another face. Right? This is the time where we pray. Yeah, go with God. Love never fails. Love never fails. One more thing the Lord has done. This is no small thing. But through all these other things the Lord has done, all these other things we just mentioned, the, you know, from Him revealing His heart towards us, from Him winning the war, from Him demonstrating His love towards us, from Him being willing to partner with us, from Him showing His love and the value of the process from Him being willing to prepare us to fight. One of the things that happens as we begin to understand all these other things is that hope rises. Uh, Romans 5 For since we've been justified through faith, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And you can skip down a little bit. Or, no, no, let's not skip. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. You know what I read there? is that when we're talking about the God that we served, there's no such thing as false hope. It's not a promise of a result. If you're sick and you want prayer afterwards, come up. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get better. I'm not going to. But I can tell you that there's very real hope. The kingdom of God is breaking in. There's no such thing as false hope with the Lord. All right, ministry team, come on up.